This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org ut. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. Hey podcast listeners, John Trapp here. Hope that y'all are doing well. I know lots of y'all are finishing your finals up. Congrats on that. And wanted to tell you a little bit about what's happening this summer. So we are going to continue doing summer RUF and our plan is to start up next Wednesday on the 27th. So keep your eye out for that. We'll be doing RUF meetings on Zoom. And also I'm planning to, to put some more content on the podcast over the course of the summer. We have some stuff that was recorded at our winter conference that will be going up and uh, may do a couple more calls with students like we did um, a couple weeks ago with James and Nate and Abby. So just keep your eye out for that. Uh, But before I play this sermon, which was our last one of the spring semester, I wanted to read to you from John 20, which is what this uh, the passage for the sermon was. We didn't get it recorded, so I'm going to read it to you now and then. We'll kick it over to the sermon. So, John 17, verse 20 through 24. Jesus says, and he's praying to his Father, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. We are looking at... Thank you too, Owen. You're the man. Anyway, um, we are looking at this passage from John 17. And uh, as I was studying this, it made me think about um, the song Before the Throne of God Above. Um, It was written by a woman named Charity Lees Smith in the 19th century. Uh, She was an Irish poet and hymn writer. Uh, Her life was not easy. She was widowed twice. but she writes the, the opening lines of the song uh, begins before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea. And, the, and you know, what is that? What is she talking about? I have a strong and perfect plea. And then she, then we find out that the plea is a person. Um, she says a, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. And so what, what charity is saying is that, Jesus actually is interceding for us with God the Father now, um, that he goes to bat for us. And what we see here in this passage is Jesus actually interceding for us um, while he was on earth. He was praying to God, to his Father, all the time. And we get, like a, we get a little bit of an insight in this passage. In John 17, what's happening is Jesus is praying to God the Father, and he's praying um, openly. And so that some, apparently John uh, recorded the prayer that Jesus prayed. And it's, it's, the long, it's easily the longest prayer that we ever have of Jesus in the Bible. Most of the time we don't have, um, we just know that he was praying. We don't know the words that he was saying. But here we know what Jesus was praying for. And 
what he's praying for, I think beautifully and, and really amazingly is you. Uh, in John 17, 20, the first verse that I read, uh, Jesus says, I'm not praying only for these. And he's referring to his disciples. He says, not only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through the disciples word. So this is actually a part in the Bible where you and I are. If you're a Christian, Jesus is praying about you. He's talking about you. And we get an insight into what Jesus is praying for us, what he wants for us. And there's, there's two things I, I want you to see. That Jesus first wants to be with you, and second, he wants us to be together. This is the two-part sermon tonight. Changing it up on you, seniors. Last one. It's not a three-part sermon. It's a two-parter because I know you guys have like exams and stuff you need to do. So let's get at it. Two parts. First, Jesus wants to be with you. All right. I know everyone's had this experience where you've stepped into a place and wondered, does anyone want me here? Maybe you felt that the first time you came to RUF. Um, I know that I felt that many times in my life. One of the times I most felt it was the, my first days at Vanderbilt when I went to college. Um, I didn't know anyone from uh, at Vanderbilt when I got there. There was no one from my high school. There was actually no one from my county uh, who was a student at Vanderbilt in freshman, sophomore, junior, or senior. And um, I got there, and the, the first night, um, my roommate, who was very social, he was like, he went to one of the prep schools that sent like tons of kids to Vanderbilt. And I, I kind of quickly realized that there was, there was like all these, at least at that point, there were lots of prep schools kind of all over the Southeast and in Texas that would like feed people into Vanderbilt. And they all kind of knew each other, it seemed like. And I didn't. I was on the outside of that. And he invited me to go to a party with him the first night we were there. And I remember my sister had been like, if you, cause she lived in Nashville at the time. She's like, if you ever get in a situation where you just like, you're in a tough, a tight spot or you don't know what to do, just call me and I'll like, come pick you up. Like I'm, I've got your back. And I was like, Oh, thanks so much. Uh. And so I go to this party and I walk in and literally no one knows me and no one's coming up and talking to me. And I'm just there. And uh, I walk outside and pull out my phone. I call my sister. And of course, she doesn't answer. And I call and I call and I call and I call, I call five times. She never answers. <laughs> and so I like stand awkwardly at this party, kind of like look around. And I, it's like no one really cares that I'm here. And uh, so I ended up walking half a mile back home um, from the, par the off-campus party that we were at. And um, if you're like me, you have felt that situation before of being somewhere and not knowing if you're wanted, if anyone cares that you're there. Um, and I, my question to you is, how do you imagine God? Does God want you to be with him? Does he want you here? And I think from um, one of my campus minister buddies, Richie Sessions, uh, he, he was talking about his students. And he was like, I, he's like, I think a lot of my students kind of imagine God. He was like, they would never say this, but they, they maybe imagine God as like a grumpy old Santa Claus. Like, he's old. He's kind of annoyed at all the things that they're asking him for. Um, he's not jolly and chubby. He's kind of like skinny and just like angry and ornery um, because they're not obeying. or They're not doing enough and they're not um, doing what he wants them to do. And. My question to you is, is how is that how you imagine God? Or maybe you imagine him fundamentally as like a judge or an accountant who's kind of like always weighing what you're doing. Are you, do, are you being good enough? Are you 
uh, is he, he's keeping records of the stuff that I've messed up with. Or maybe you imagine him as, um, as a teacher and he wants you to know the right things. Or maybe you imagine him as um, like your therapist who's going to kind of like fix stuff for you and make, make things better for you. Or maybe you imagine him as a genie. Like I come to him and I ask him for things when I really need them. Here's what I would um, have you think and want you to see. That God, as he's presented in the Bible, if we're going to see him as he really presents himself in the Bible, we need to imagine him and see him as a yearning host. As a host who yearns to be with you, who wants you where he is. And it reminded me, we were talking in our prayer group meeting um, a couple of days ago about our favorite office episodes. And somebody mentioned the dinner party episode, which made me go back and watch it again. Um, it's just so good. And it opens with Michael. And he looks at Jim. He's like, hey, so you have plans tonight? And Jim's like, nope, I don't. Remember you told us not to make plans because we're working on Friday? And Michael goes, yes, I remember. And then Michael says, this is BS. This is BS. So like the whole office, why are we here? I'm going to call corporate. I'm so mad. And he walks into the office and he picks up the phone like without like even dialing. He's like, this is Michael Scott from Scranton. Well, we don't want to work. No, we don't. It's not fair to these people. These people are my friends and I care about them. We're not going to do it. Everybody, and, he, and he, paint, he slams on the phone and he walks out. He says, Everybody, I just got off the horn with corporate. And basically, I told them where they could stick their little overtime assignment. Go enjoy your Friday. And then Michael turns back to Jim. He's like, well, I think we dodged a bullet there. I think we should celebrate. How about you, Pam, Mikasa, a little dinner, dancing, and drinks? And Jim, you can see him already working up the, uh, the excuses. Like, oh, uh, and Michael goes, you said you didn't have plans. And then it cuts over to Jim. like on an interview afterwards, like just to the camera, he says, Michael has asked Pam and me to dinner at least nine times. And every time we've been able to get out of it, but I've got to give him credit. He got me because I'm starting to suspect that there was no assignment from corporate. And what you see is that Michael has been plotting this whole, the, the whole ruse about like going, uh, everyone having to work Friday night. It was all a plan to get Michael uh, to, or to get Jim and Pam to come over so that Michael could show them the glory of his condo that he wants to fill with children um, from Jan and the uh, the awesome plasma screen TV that they have together. And Michael is just so excited about showing uh, his friends that. And what I want you to realize is, maybe not in the exact same way, but God is has been scheming a way to host you. God longs to host his people. And that's what we see here in Jesus' conversation with his disciples. Earlier in John 14, he tells them, look, I'm going before you to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. And then here in verse 24, and when Jesus is praying, you hear Jesus ask, he says, Father, I want them. I want these that you have given to, to me. The people that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. God is, he yearns to be with you. And this is not a new idea in the Bible. All throughout the Bible, we see that God, God present himself as one who longs to be with you, to celebrate with you, to dine with you. 
think about how the Bible begins. God puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he sets before them a banquet. He says, eat of any of these trees, except for the knowledge of the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Take and eat any of these trees and the fruit that I've given to you. He sets a, a banquet before them. He sends his people Israel. He promises to send them to the promised land, which he calls a land flowing with milk and honey. On their way, he feeds Israel with manna from heaven. Not only that, God orders Israel's calendar around feasts. He commands, he commands them to have feasts because God desires to host them. In, in fact, every, every 25 years, I'm sorry, every 50 years, he commands them to have a year-long feast. Think about that. So they have six feasts that they're forced to have. The Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of the First Fruits, Feast of the Pentecost, the Feast of the Trumpets, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Israelites were feasting all the time. And then every 50 years, God says, and by the way, have a year-long feast. In Psalm 23, David says of God, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. God prepares a table for us. So it's not surprising then that when God shows up in the flesh, Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, Jesus says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. He came as a yearning host. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. People were shocked at the way that Jesus wanted to be with people and feast with them and eat with them. It's no wonder that Jesus' first miracle in the book of John is him turning water into wine. And it's not a little bit of wine. It's 150 gallons of wine. Can you imagine if one of your friends showed up to your wedding with 150 gallons of wine? You'd be like, dude, you have a serious problem. It's like, I did the math. I think it's like 900 bottles of wine. Imagine them showing up to your party like that. That's who Jesus is. And it's not bad wine. It's the best wine anyone's ever tasted. That's who Jesus is. And the, so much so that the Bible ends with a feast, the wedding supper of the Lamb. God yearns to host us, to be with us. And so it's not surprising that at the, the last night that Jesus is with his disciples, what is he doing? He's having a meal with them. He's sharing a meal with them. He's instituting the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate now as Christians, where Jesus is our host and also the meal. We feed on him spiritually. He continues to long and meet us as he hosts us at his table. And Jesus wants to host you, and he wants you to see his glory. That's what I want you all to know. That God is not fundamentally um, and primarily your judge. He's not fundamentally your therapist. He's not fundamentally a genie. He's fundamentally your father who longs to host you. That's who God is. That's what Jesus is praying for. The last night he's with his disciples. That's what he's praying about for you. He wants to be with you and to show you his glory. And we could, I could preach a whole other sermon on what that means, but like, Think about that for just a second. Jesus longs to show you his glory. The one who invented every single thing that you like. The one who thought up fun and velocity and music and flavor. The one who, from whom his mind came football and like competition and water to swim in. All of that is a sign pointing to Jesus's glory, to God's glory. And he wants to show you the full measure of his glory to be with you. That is what he longs to do. And he's so committed to doing that, 
right? He's so committed to, to hosting you that he himself becomes the sacrificial lamb and the payment so that you can come into the feast. So that anyone who would put their faith in Christ may be part of the feast. And Jesus longs for this. He prays for his father that all of those that God has given to him will be brought into the feast. But secondly, I want you to see that Jesus wants us to be together. You see so clearly in this passage that he's praying for unity. He says, uh, I want them to, to be in me and I want them to, to be united to one another. Uh, just as I am united to the Father. We see Jesus longs for unity. But it's, it's a lot of times, like, unity is such a buzzword in our culture, and we can kind of, like, want unity for unity's sake, but it's like, what are you uniting around? It's an important question to ask. But what we see clearly here in verse 20, the very first verse of the passage that we read, is that what Jesus wants unity around is around the teaching of the apostles. Verse 20 says, for those who will believe in me through their word, through the disciples' word. Jesus is praying for those who will believe in me through the disciples' word. And so what Jesus longs for us is for us to, as a body of believers and followers, to unite around the teaching of the apostles. So seniors, listen to me. What Jesus wants for us and what, because he cares about you, and this is not just for seniors, for all of you, but seniors, listen to me now. When you graduate and as you go into the next phase of your life, what Jesus has given you because he loves you and because he wants to host you, what he's given you is he's given you his church. He's given you a people who are united around the teaching of his apostles to be a family with, and you need that. And, uh, you know, RUF, RUF never, ever exists to replace the church. What we want to do is point people to the church. We're actually an extension of the church to the college campus. That's why I have to be an ordained minister because we're, I'm actually sent by the church to the college campus. And what I long for you uh, is for you to find a place where you can be be united with those for whom Christ loves and has ransomed. Like, there's, I mean, it's it's kind of a hokey story, but I think it's such a uh, a great illustration. A, a story goes of a young believer sitting by a fireplace with a, a, a man who's been following Jesus for um, the whole of his life, an older man. And they begin having a debate about whether or not church is important and whether or not you can um, continue continue following Christ on your own without without the need of the church and whether or not you can keep the fire of passion for Christ on your own. And very quietly, uh, as they're having a the debate, the old man stands up and he grabs the fire tongs and he reaches in and takes a hot coal out of the fire and he puts it on the brick hearth in front of them and he just sits back down. And very slowly, that coal, which which was glowing red hot and would have glowed red hot for hours and hours, um, it very quickly dies down and dims and becomes cold. And what that illustrates is um, is what all of us need. We need the warmth of those around us. We need those um, the warmth of others pointing us to and reminding us of the good news of what Jesus has done. We need to be united to them. 
And what that here's the other thing that happens at the church. When you go to the church, and what I would encourage you to is to look look for a church that teaches the gospel. That what you what you most want is a church that where you are being united around um, the teaching of the apostle, not necessarily a church where everyone is just like you. Because that's what we do. Because we, we treat the church oftentimes as like as consumers and something that we get something out of. It's really easy for us to be like, I'm going to go find a church where everyone is like me or they're really cool. Or they like they like the stuff that I like or the same age as me or they look like me or whatever. And what that oftentimes actually can kind of like breed in us is this idea that the church is really about us. But the beautiful thing about the church is you don't get to pick who's in it. Um, the church is a place where all kinds of people can gather around the teaching of the apostles together and think about what, uh, what Jesus says happens when his people unite around the teaching of the apostles. Verse 23 says why it says why Jesus wants this unity. Verse 23 says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. See when, when the world sees us uniting people who shouldn't be together in the world's eyes, people from different sides of the political aisle, uh, people from different neighborhoods, people from different backgrounds, people from different fraternities or sororities, or people who are Greek and independent or whatever. When God sees that, or when, uh, when people see that, it bears witness to something that's actually happening within that community, that something's going on, uh, that the spirit of God is at work. And Jesus knew this. In fact, if you even think about the disciples who are in the room as he's saying this, there's literally, they're, 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 they're very different from each other. So for example, Simon um, was known as Simon the Zealot, which means that he, he kind of would have been like far right wing politically. He would have hated Rome. He would have wanted to eradicate Rome from Israel. But then also within the same, around the same table is Matthew, the tax collector. And the tax collectors were known for kind of uh, being in league with Rome, uh, for serving at Rome's whims and gathering taxes for Rome. And so you've got far left wing, far right wing, same table that Jesus unites them around. And what this does is this bears witness to the truth of the gospel, which is that when we were different from God, when we were actually his enemies, that Christ died for us and reconciled us to himself. And his reconciling love reconciles us to God, but also to one another. Because when we see somebody who's different than us, we see someone like us, right? Because when we were different from God, he moved towards us in love. So when we see people who are different from us, how can we not do what God did for us and move towards them in love as well? It's, it's, what, it's what makes um, the story of Steve Saint um, that was just kind of, I don't, I don't know if you've seen it, kind of went viral on um, the internet this week, but Steve Saint, um, his story uh, um, is quite, quite incredible. Uh, his father, back in 1956, was one of the five missionaries who made contact with the Waldani tribe um, that was deep in the Amazon jungle. And uh, their motive was to to tell this unreached people group about the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Um, but they were literal. I mean, um, anthropologists described the Waldani tribe as in the Stone Age developmentally, um, as a people group, and with no contact from the outside world ever. And so, what happened to the five missionaries who made contact with the Waldanis is they were they were killed um, by the leaders of the tribe. And one of those men who was killed was Steve Saint's father. But what made headlines this week uh, is the fact that Steve Saint wrote the obituary for one of the men who killed his father. Uh, because two years later, uh, more missionaries, some of whom from the same family of the, the, the men who were killed by the Wildonis, went back and befriended the Wildonis and um, led them to Jesus. And the leader of the Wildani tribe is uh, a man who goes, who, who's, um, has one, he's, I guess he just has one name, his name is Minkai. Um, and in the, in the obituary for Minkai uh, that was written this week, because Minkai died um, a couple days ago, Steve Saint says, there are people who question the motives of the five missionaries who made contact with the Wildani in 1956. There are some who questioned Minkai's motives in participating in 10 speaking tours to the U.S. and Canada, trips to Europe and Panama and even India. I can only answer that I was Minkai's traveling companion on all those trips. We traveled together, ate together, shared the, the same room, and spoke together. I've known Minkai since I was a little boy when he took me under his wing and had his sons teach me how to blow gun hunt. Which sounds kind of awesome in the Amazon. Well, wow. he was one of my dearest friends in the world. Yes, he killed my father when I was only five years old, but he loved me and my family. One of my grandson's names is Minkai. We will miss you, Minkai, but we hold on to the certain hope that we will see you soon again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, though he die, will have everlasting life. That is the truth of the gospel for you and for me. Um, so students, uh, my encouragement to y'all would be to know and remember that God loves you. Hold on to that. He is holding on to you. He yearns to host you in his world. Uh, he hosts you here now um, when we come to him in church and in his world and at the table, the Lord's Supper. But also one day he will host us in glory when all of this will be a shadow and a memory. And every taste of glory that we've enjoyed at UT together, um, like really fun conferences, um, belly laughs around campfires and um, awesome snow cone thing. Was that Jim Jim's snow ice? Um, and just like laughing hilariously at Stuart Lyons belly flopping off of barges and just being together. All of those are tastes of the glory that God longs to share with us, to host us in. And so let's be together. Uh, be together until then. If you're not together with us in our UF, be with the family of God wherever you go. Um, and know that he loves you. Let me pray. Father, thank you for um, your love. Thank you for reconciling us to yourself. And we pray that you would make us a people that seek to be reconciled with others. Um, 
And I pray uh, your blessing over these students as they finish up school. Um, please be with them, um, give them strength and endurance to finish um, the tasks that you've put before them. Be with these seniors uh, as they move on to the next phase of their life. I pray, uh, Lord, that you would not let them go. I pray that they would, um, they would live lives um, that bring you glory and uh, that abide in you, um, that they might know your love for them. And I pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. And friends, um, hear these words that are true to us. Uh, they were true yesterday, they're true today, and they'll be true tomorrow. And it's that the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He'll quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing.